Let's a clap of hands on three. Ready? One, two, three. <laughs> Let's do that again. <laughs> one, one, two, three. That's screw this is going on. Kia ora, welcome to the Invisible Sensei podcast. Karate, kudo, judo, jiu-jitsu, whatever the style of preference, we all have our own stories and experiences. We are all our own Invisible Sensei. Follow us on Instagram, Facebook and YouTube. And again, thanks for taking time to listen. Uh, hey, kia ora everybody. Welcome to the Invisible Sensei podcast. Hope you're well. And... Um, Today we've got a really special podcast, and in fact they're all special, but um, for me one of the things that has been really cool about um, the pandemic of one can be said to actually find something which is cool in the midst of a pandemic is the friendships uh, that I've been really lucky to make um, over the last year and a bit. And um, I guess a couple of people jumped to mind. Um, in this instance, there's kind of a three musketeer thing going on um, between uh, myself, uh, Josh Simmers of the Okinawan Karate p- Podcast, uh, and uh, Sensei Michael Hagen of Apex Karate, who's our guest today, um, and also to our brother over at Karate Without Belts, Jonathan Ebersol. So I guess it's a, I, I want to say foursome, but I don't know if that's a thing to say. There's four of us. There's four of us in the group. We're friends. So... <laughs> Um, with that, what I want to do now is just take time to introduce our guest today. And he is, um, he's become a really close friend. And the way in which I got to know Sensei Michael Hagen is through his Apex Karate YouTube channel. I'll put some links to it in the description. Go and check it out. I strongly recommend it. I found it and it was recommended to me a lot of really good people who know what's what in the karate world uh, treat it like like one would a <clears throat> an ancient tome but only the worthy may turn the pages i hope you enjoyed that <laughs> so without further ado do, 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 i'd like to welcome sensei uh, michael hagan hey brother how you doing i'm doing well how are you doing man thanks for having me on no, man. Thank you. Thank you so much for, for taking the time. It's been cool. We've been kind of teeing it up for a while and I've been chasing a mic and then kind of one thing gets in front of the other and so on and so forth. And we finally kind of connected it up the other day. I want to also do a shout out to our brother, uh, Josh Simmers at the Okinawan Karate Podcast for making the intros, really. And um, also, I've, I'm noticing a trend. I don't know if you're noticing it, Michael, but uh, I'm kind of introducing, I'm kind of interviewing all of Josh's, you know, Josh interviews <laughs> guys first. But I mean, one could say that's the prototype. We, we, we won't call those sloppy seconds or anything. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, one could say that that's a prototype. I mean, guess what I'm providing? Rough is, draft, um, rough draft. That's, a, that's a rough draft. And I think it's, it's great that he draft. does that. But this yeah. is kind of the Ferrari. This is the Ferrari. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> but, um, but seriously, thank you so much. So, hey, Josh, you know I'm only kidding, right? Um, <clears throat> no, he's not. I, no, he's not. He's not. No, he's not. I never, I never liked Josh. I never liked him. Um, <laughs> but Jonathan, you're cool, bro. Cool. Um, so anyway, Sensei. Yeah. Brass Tex. So. Yep. Let's do it. Okay. 
So here's a question. What, right. in all your years of doing karate, did you believe about karate in the beginning? What was your starry-eyed starry -eyed kind of belief that you don't believe anymore? Oh, okay. Uh, that's a pretty tough one. So uh, I actually have, uh, you know, we talked about this the other day, and so I kind of gave it a little bit of thought, and uh, I came up with two things. Um, one uh, somewhat of a positive and one somewhat of a negative, but I think of it in a negative way to help me maintain my focus. And I'll, I'll, I'll kind of explain that right there. The first one is, is that I, I thought when I started karate, and so, you know, if, you, if, you've, if you've listened to the Okinawa Karate Podcast and you heard my story of how I started karate, you'll know that I went to Japan and I started training karate in a university karate club in Japan. And so... When I started, I kind of thought I understood or I kind of had an idea of what I thought karate was, right? You're punching, you're kicking, there's some self-defense, there's some comp competition, JKF, WKF style competition. That's what we were involved in. And it was all simple in, and I don't mean the, the movements themselves or anything like that was simple, but the, the concept was simple. But what I found is, is that there's so much more to karate uh, and karate can be what you want it to be pretty much if you want to be a wkf competitor and you want to do kumite and you don't want to do kata and you don't want to do any of the other other stuff then it can be that for you and it could that could be your reality if you want to focus on bunkai or practical applications that also could be your reality and so over time, I've realized that in, in Japanese, there's this phrase, this uh, phrase, the saying called okugafukai. It's like the, 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 the back is deep. The, 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 there's so much depth to it. There's karate has so much in it that it gives you the room to really make it your own through your own growth and training and understanding. And even over time, my understanding of what I thought karate was has changed, um, at least for me. Um, so that, that's one thing. Uh, the other thing that I use as kind of a, a prop or a motivator to make me continue to learn and train is, is that I used to think that because you were a black belt or because you were a high-ranking Don, uh, you know, fifth Don, sixth Don, Nana Don, whatever, that you knew what you were talking about and that you had the knowledge, the answers, right? In, in Japanese karate, you don't hear so much, you know, the word master or grandmaster, but in uh, other martial arts, you, you, you hear those phrases a lot. And I actually despise that word master as it relates to karate because it implies a level of mastery. And uh, anybody who's studied Japanese martial arts or not even martial arts, uh, calligraphy, um, tea ceremony, dance, traditional dance in, in a Japanese context will understand that there's no such thing as mastery. Um, yeah, that kind of comes in with the, the do aspect, right? The path, the way in, in Japanese martial arts and, and, and other uh, social and, and cultural things. So, but I've, I've seen several incidents, uh, instant instances, sorry, over the past several years to where people who should know better will say things that uh, are immediately taken at face value. But if you give it uh, more than a half second of thought, 
it's the absurdness of it just comes out. And I, and I've got a couple of examples, but, um, they'll be talking about techniques that are completely, uh, unfounded or, uh, let's just say close to impossible probably. Uh, and they'll say that, oh yeah, you can totally do this. And so I use that as a motivator as to why I have to keep developing myself. I have to keep training. Right. And even with my athletes, I will caution them to say, or, or when I say something, don't accept what I say at face value simply because I'm your coach or I'm your sensei and I say it. You have to train it, put it into practice, make sure uh, that what I'm saying is valid. Don't just accept it on face value. And so, because you know, I've gotten to a point to where I can look at things and I can say, okay, that's a good technique or that may work in certain circumstances, but it may not work in others. But everybody's on a, on a growth scale. And if I say something irresponsible or that I know to be technically inaccurate or, or, or I make up an answer on the spot that I haven't thought out, there are people that will hear it or listen to it and will just accept it because maybe they haven't reach the point yet in their karate path or their development path to where they can differentiate the wheat from the chaff, if that makes sense. And so as I go, it's when I hear these things, it's a reminder to me that I always have to be trying to do better. I have to make sure that what I'm saying when I'm coaching or I'm teaching is technically accurate, tactically accurate, and yet techniques may not work in every situation. And there may be certain techniques that only work in certain circumstances based on you, uh, your physical limitations or the, 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 the position that you find yourself in in some confrontation or something like that. But I have to make sure that I'm doing my part to explain them the best that I can without giving those frivolous type answers, if you will. And so that uh, that's been one thing that's motivated me recently to keep learning and keep training hard for my own development is, is that when I'm coaching and I'm passing those on, that I'm doing the best that I can. That's brilliant. Really articulate answer and really clear and concise. I mean, in, in keeping within that frame, how do you encourage, let's say, for instance, you know, your path has been an interesting one in the sense that, you know, you started Karate in the States, um, went to Japan, trained learned the language um, and have continued from there and been a, a successful competitor and coach yourself. At what point in the dojo or with, with athletes or just in the dojo, how do you encourage that critical analysis that you've spoken of, being able to think, think of, th look at things and analyze them in a critical but positive way? The hardest part is, I think it becomes, it comes from, the way we do karate these days in most people, the vast majority of people these days. Well, let me step back. Okay. Recently, um, uh, my, my, my sensei is Oshiro Toshihiro sensei from Shimaha Shorinyu and Yamane Ryu Bojutsu. And he was recently a guest on, uh, interviewed by Chris Wilson and James Pankovich for the Okinawa Karate Masters podcast. And that just came out. So if you haven't seen it, go check it out. Um, but one thing he talked about was the difference in training, especially when he started uh, his learning Yamane Ryu Bojutsu. And he described how the majority of his Bojutsu training was at night 
after dojo training, he would go to his sensei's house and he would, his sensei would first drink two cups of tea and then he would tell him to go train out on the veranda or out in the yard, the garden. They would do training for a couple of hours, just the two of them, or maybe uh, with Nishime sensei also. And then they would have dinner after midnight, 1 a.m. The sensei's wife had already gone to bed, but she'd prepared dinner. And then they would sit and they would talk about different things, etiquette, training, karate, kobudo, old stories, and this, you know, uh, what our friend Josh Simmers at the Okinawa Karate Podcast calls izakaya training, right? Now we go to the bar after training and we listen to the sensei talk. But that was the way it was done historically, that one-on-one or two-on-one training to where you have uh, a lot more interaction. And back then, the way of instruction was sensei would ask a question and send you on your way and you would come back with an answer. And then since they would tell you whether it was right or wrong or whether that was an acceptable answer. Today, we have a different environment where the majority of people do the majority of their training in a dojo type environment. Many times a commercial dojo, right? In the United States, it's, you know, it'll be a commercial dojo and, and that's fine, right? Uh, but everything is done by count. You're in group classes. There's uh, it's very difficult to give one-on-one -on -one instruction because if there's 20 students in the class and I stop the class to give one-on-one -on -one instruction to one individual, the people around them, immediately next to them, may hear and see what's going on. But the farther away you are, it becomes more difficult to understand what's going on. And then depending on the age group that you're, you're, you're instructing, they're they may or may not be as focused on it. I often say, hey, just because I'm correcting so-and-so over here, you should be paying attention and seeing if you're doing the same thing. But that doesn't always happen. 